We're uh, Matt and Kate Hunter, and uh, we've been coming to Crosspoint for about uh, eight years or so, give or take. And um, we've been married for about six now. It'll be six in June. So shortly after we got married, um, we decided we were going to start a family right away. And we, uh, we got pregnant about just a few months after getting married, and I right away experienced hyperemesis gravidum where I would vomit uh, 40 to 60 times a day throughout the entire pregnancy. I, we spent most of our first year of marriage, we spent Christmas Eve, Christmas Day in the hospital um, vomiting. Uh, and then Caroline was born on Mother's Day in 2012, perfect, healthy, and everything seemed great. A year later, we found out we were pregnant again and we were not expecting it. And I got sick again. Um, unfortunately, we lost that pregnancy and it, it was really, really hard for us for that whole year. And that was in 2013. Um, and then a year to the day of losing that pregnancy, we found out we were pregnant with Charlotte. Um, that proved to be the hardest pregnancy of all three. I was hospitalized 18 times. And then Charlotte, after being hospitalized 18 times, sometimes for weeks, two weeks at a time, Charlotte was born at 31 weeks. They would nickname her the perfect little prem in the NICU because she was. She gained appropriately. She fed great. We spent seven weeks in the NICU. And we went home on February 13th, and that night that she got home, she started to vomit. She started to lose weight. When we brought her home from the hospital, she was four pounds, eight ounces. Um, she couldn't afford to lose any weight. Mm -hmm. After two weeks of this going on, I ended up taking her to the hospital in the middle of the night, and the neonatologist met me in the NICU that night and decided to fly her to the IWK. They, they decided that she had a allergy to everything. Yeah. Um, and I, having diabetes and celiac myself, was unable to breastfeed her. It would be too dangerous. So they put her on $75 a can formula, which she would take every a can every two and a half, three days. Yeah. We didn't have the money. To do it. We could not afford it. And someone in, in the government that we knew heard our story and contacted the health minister who made an exception. Made an exception who who said, you know, this this child needs to be fed. We we, we have to make sure this child is fed. And she called me on a Friday afternoon and, and he had already signed off on it and, and we ended up getting all of her formula covered, which was amazing. But it didn't stop the vomiting and she still kept vomiting. At this point, she's nine pounds, and we went from January until December 2014, where she weighed nine pounds. She didn't gain any weight. We ended up in the emergency room in December of 2014, and she was not well. Um, we didn't know. At that point, she was very, very frail, very... We didn't know at that point if she would live. Um, another doctor saw her and thought, this girl needs to go back to Halifax. I'm gonna do 
whatever I can. I'm going to make some phone calls. Um, at that point, she's a year old, and they decided that my EI, I was supposed to have an extension on my EI to stay home with her because she couldn't go to daycare. But the doctor had filled out the paperwork wrong, so they declined it. And Matt, being self-employed and being winter, it's it was slow, and we just didn't know how we are doing, and we had to go. And the craziest thing started happening. Like, we were standing in the grocery store one day, and someone handed me a check for $100. And our neighbor came over and just put money in our mailbox. And nobody knew that this was going on. We hadn't really been out socially. And, and this... People, people we didn't even know, strangers, someone knocked on our door and, and heard we had a new baby and gave us money. Mm -hmm. um, it, it was crazy. And we ended up going to Halifax and they kept us for one night. And, and we were so frustrated and they sent us home because she wasn't a, a priority enough. Like she wasn't sick enough at that point. And we were so frustrated. But then someone else reached out and said, well, I, I think I can help. And, and they... There was a small group. A small group. Um, right here in church. And um, we started taking her to a chiropractor. And within a few weeks, she was off of her feeding tube. And she stopped vomiting. We went down in June. We went in for the surgery, and they did a scope first. And we're sitting in the, in the room waiting for the surgeon to come out. And she comes out, and she said there but whatever you're doing is working yep. we're not we're not gonna do any of those other surgeries if you see her now I mean she's still a tiny itty bitty little two and a half year old she weighs 19 pounds but she's on fire she's fine she is just happy and healthy and we still you know have checkups and a little bit of vomiting here and there but She's thriving. The last two and a half years with Charlotte has really taught us to be patient with God and that God is in control. And, and even when we don't know the outcome and we don't know what's gonna happen, we can have this peace. And it's so hard in that moment to trust that God is, is gonna fulfill his promises to us. But looking back, it was like, no sweat. No. You know, what did we need to worry about? It was all taken care of in the strangest ways. I can imagine in that moment that God's people would have said that they were super thirsty. You put themselves kind of in that position and they had just broken free from slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh had finally relented and said, fine, get out of here. And they are running for their lives. I mean, they let him go, but I mean, what, what are the chances that they aren't going to be chased by the Egyptians? And so they're running. You imagine what that would have been like day after day after day in the desert, always looking back over your shoulder, probably paranoid every night you went to bed, always wondering if they were going to hop out of the bushes, always wondering if they were going to find you and take you back and put you in slavery again day after day after day after day. They're not traveling with food. They weren't prepared for a journey of this magnitude. And so they finally go and they go and they go and they think that they've escaped only to find themselves at the shore of the Red Sea. 
There's no going around the Red Sea. There's no bridge over the Red Sea. There are no sea dews waiting at a dock conveniently at the Red Sea. And they think, this is finally it. And they see a cloud of dust behind them on a road getting kicked up by all the horses and the chariots that have eventually caught up with them. And in that moment, God just kind of splits the Red Sea and they start moving again. They are running again. You, you see pictures of this, and they're just kind of like casually walking. They would have been flying, right? Like, this is run for your life kind of stuff. The Red Sea is not short. This was not the crossing of the Nashwalk. It was miles long. And they are out of breath. It is the desert. They are exhausted. They are drained. And all they want is probably something to drink. And they get to the other side of the Red Sea. The water goes back together. Their enemies are killed. And in the distance, they see an oasis. They see water finally waiting. They finally kind of get to go and take a breath. And they're so excited. And they go to this oasis and they sit down and they start gulping these huge drinks of water. And it's nasty. You ever taken a drink of water and it wasn't? You think you're about to chug water and it's like Sprite. And you're like, ah, so spit it out and your throat is burning. Or maybe you thought it was cold water and it was warm water and it's nasty. Similar story. Here's what Exodus 15 says, verse 22. It says, Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. They moved out into the desert of Shore. There they traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis of Merah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Merah, which means bitter. And then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And after leaving Merah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Let me pray for us today. Father, we just pray in these next few moments that you would speak, that you would move, that your truth would be uh, on display and that you would use it and uh, just draw people to your word and to your presence. We ask that you would do more than, than we were expecting tonight, that you would do more than we were imagining tonight in this place. We're grateful that you're here and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, how are we doing today, church? Excellent. It's good to see you here today and good to see everyone at our South Campus. Uh, we are in week three on the series where we're talking about all of the different names of God. And, and the name that we are talking about today is the one that he calls himself back in verse 26. He says, I am the Lord, your healer. We're going to talk today about how God is a healer. That is one of his names. This is something that he does. The word that he uses there is Rapha. He calls himself Jehovah Rapha. And that word is the Hebrew word for heal. 
And so we want to talk about that, but I know that sometimes when we start talking about the miraculous and healing, some people's like weirdo radars start going off. And you're like, I don't know about all this charismatic stuff that's going on. So I just, I want us to sit tight for a minute. And I want us to get into the word and really find out what it is scripture says about healing and about God and about miracles, uh, because I think there's a lot in here that's important for us to know. Because here's what the Bible says about God as a healer. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. You look back through the Old Testament. God healed people of leprosy. He healed people of shriveled hands, of snake bites, of plagues. You, you name it, he healed them of all of that stuff. And then God shows up in the form of Jesus in the New Testament, and it, and it seems like the healings only increased. He heals people who are blind, who are mute, who are deaf. He heals people that were demonically possessed. He raises people back from the dead. Our God is a healer. If there's one thing that you can conclude from Genesis to Revelation, this is something he did a lot, and that's really something that we can believe that he still does today. Our God is Jehovah Rapha, a healer. He does the impossible. He does what no one else could do. I mean, you, you think back to that time. There was, there was the day when Jesus was staring down the soldiers and Peter flipped out, cut a soldier's ear off. I mean, back then in the year zero, their, their medical procedures probably weren't capable of fixing that. And Jesus picks it up and puts it back on the guy. Probably like with a little sound. That's just what I imagine. Remember that old Canadian commercial? I can put my arm back on, but you can't, so play safe. Anyone remember that? Oh, come on. It's like, I can put your ear back on. It's, you can't, right? He's Jehovah Rapha. He's a healer. He can do what we can't do. In fact, it happened so frequently in Jesus' ministry that a lot of the guys, when they were writing the Gospels, they eventually just started summarizing it, and Jesus healed a whole bunch of people that day. He went to a, a town, and he healed a whole bunch of people. They, they stopped narrowing in on the stories. Here's Matthew 15:30. It says, A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. I mean, we, we don't need to break it down. You think of one healing story today, and people are like, Oh, that's crazy. He did so many. They were just like, Yeah, it happened a lot. He is a God who heals. So we, we really don't need to be weirded out when we talk about miracles and healing in the church. In fact, it should be weird to us that we don't talk about it more. It should be weird to us that we don't pray for it more and expect it more and maybe see it more than we do. I want to talk about healing tonight because here's, here's what I have discovered and here's kind of what I assume sometimes is that it's not that we even doubt that God can heal, but it's often that we doubt he'll heal me. We doubt that he'll heal us. It's not that we don't believe that God is a healer. We just wonder about all of the times when he doesn't. About all the times that he didn't. And you can look back on your own life and maybe with some other friends who would say, yeah, well, I believe God's a healer, but where was he when my mom, when my dad, when my kid, when my spouse, when my friend, where was he then? Is, is God just picking and choosing? Is there a secret formula? What's, what's the trick to this healing thing? Because I read the Bible and I know that he does it, but why doesn't he always? Why didn't he for me? Will he in the future? What can I expect when I say something like God is a healer? So there's a few questions. It's a big topic. 
There's a lot to this, but sometimes I, I assume that our first mistake we make when we talk about healing is that we only ever narrow it down to a, an instant moment of physical healing. And I would guess that even as we started talking about healing, that's where your mind went. Someone who got miraculously healed from a physical ailment. But, but healing actually is a much larger, much broader topic than just that. Healing is something that, that, that's greater. I bet... I bet you've been healed at times and didn't know it. I bet there's more healing that happens than you're aware of. I bet there's healing that happened that you didn't even remember and you had to look back on it. I, I bet God is always in the act of healing, but we just need to be aware of it. Because he didn't stop with Jesus. He didn't end his healing ministry. He's still going. In fact, the New Testament, the list of spiritual gifts, one of them is healer. So we must believe that it can still happen. And so there's got to be something more to it than just that. So what does healing really mean? Well, the word rapha, it means heal, but it means it in a whole bunch of different ways. It's one of those words that has a variety of meanings depending on how you're using it and when you're using it. It's like the word, I mean, we have a lot of, the word delicious. All right, that's kind of a subjective word, isn't it? I mean, we all know what it means, but it can mean different things. We were just talking about being thirsty and water. I mean, there's nothing better. There's nothing more delicious than water when you are parched, when you are dying, you just played sports, you are out in the sun, and, and all, you just, that water, and you just start chugging water. It's the greatest thing. But usually, other than that one time, I don't ever want water. Water is boring. Water is blah. Like, if, if I'm home at night, and a hockey game is on, I'm like, yeah, there's chips, and water. Like, I have failed myself if that is the only beverage in my house, right? Like, just meh. So, so is it delicious? Well, sometimes, and, and maybe sometimes it's not. See, it's a contextual thing. Other times, the word delicious means something to someone that means something completely different to someone else. Like, you all like different, like raisins, right? Listen, I like raisins. I like raisins in my cereal. I like raisins in my bread. I like raisins in my cookies. All right? Now, some of you think raisins were a direct result of the fall of man. Right? They were, they were sent to the earth as a part of demonic activity from the hand of Satan himself. That's Jamie. Oh, who's right and who's wrong? Me. But... It depends on the person, depends on the moment. So you have this one word, and we all know what it means, but it kind of means different things, depending on the circumstance, the, the, the person, the, the context. So rapha is one of those words, where it means healing, but it means it in a whole bunch of different ways, depending on the context, depending on the circumstance. So let's just run through some of these ways. Uh, for instance, it, the most common way we think about it is a physical healing. When Jesus heals someone in the New Testament, when, when he causes a blind man to regain his sight, the word used there is rapha, it's, that's healing. But it also means much bigger things. The, the word rapha can also mean to fix something or to repair something, even just a physical object. This is 1 Kings 18.30. It says, then Elijah called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. All right, now we're talking carpentry. Still Rapha, still healing, but it, it means to be repaired or fixed. I also enjoy that he just called a whole bunch of people to gather around to watch him do carpentry. 
Rapha is also used to mean something uh, along more emotional lines or mental lines. It's not something that you see physically in front of you, but it's still very much there, Psalm 147.3. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds, right? Are you ever aware physically that that happened before your eyes? No, but was it still a healing? Absolutely. So it covers our emotions. It also covers a spiritual healing. David wrote this in the book of Psalms, 41 verse 4. says, O Lord, I pray it have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. So there's something that's wrong in his life that he needs healing for, but it's not physical, it's not emotional, it's not anything that, that he needs to, it's his own heart. So there's spiritual healing that happens in there as well. Sometimes that word refers to way more than just one person. All of those examples are pretty individual, but uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14 is a pretty well-known verse. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will restore their land. And that word restore is rapha. It is heal. He's saying, this is something that I can do for you and also something I can do for my family, for my church, for my people. It's so much bigger and broader and greater than we often give it credit for. Our God is a healer. He does it in so many ways. And sometimes because he does it in so many ways, we're not even aware that he has done it or that he's doing it. Or maybe, maybe you have even been healed and didn't even know about it. He's Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. It's so much more than this one singular kind of narrow view that we often give it. So it's a, it's a big topic. It covers a lot of things. The next question that we all really want to kind of get to is, how do you make it happen? Right? Wouldn't it be easier if you could just flip a switch? All right, God, today I need your healing power. And there's like a little button. He's like, done. Like, is that how you do it? Do you have to pray a, white, a, a right way? Do you have to know a certain password? Are there things that I need to jump through in order to, to kind of trigger God's healing? I mean, honestly, how many of you have ever prayed for God's healing? For anything, right? And, and how many of you, no matter how significantly huge it was or how small, I pray, oh, I pray, I get a headache coming up. Lord, heal me now, right? Like, no matter how big or how small it was, how many of you have ever prayed for healing and it didn't come? Right? Well, that's a bit of an issue, isn't it? Sometimes. I mean, that, that has a, a bit of an effect on us. Because maybe that was the time that you said, all right, God, I, I'm going for the... And he didn't answer you and you get mad at him. Maybe you got bitter with him. Maybe you walked away from him. Maybe that was the day you decided to stop praying. Maybe for some people, that's all it took for them to be done with God and done with church altogether. Maybe you know someone, and that's their story. Someone, they, they had a child with a terminal illness, and they were told by hundreds of people, hundreds of times, we are praying for you, we are lifting you up in prayer, and then they had a funeral. Well, what about that? Where was Jehovah Rapha then? And it's hard, isn't it? You've been there. You've faced those questions. You prayed for it. And you didn't get it. How do we make it happen? Or can we make it happen? Well, there's not much going on here today. It's not my intention also to speak on the problem of pain and evil. We don't have time for that. That's a, that's a lot of other topics, but it touches 
uh, the, the topic of healing and what we really need to talk about today. So what's the how and the why and the when of healing? There's a variety of reasons. First and foremost, the reason why God heals whenever he heals is always for his glory. Always. That's always for his glory. God chooses to heal people and it's actually not about those people. It's about him. When God chooses to heal people, it's not even about the healing. It's about him. It is all because of God and his glory. In fact, we saw that in our passage today. When God shows up and, and he tells Moses to kind of throw that thing in the water and he heals them all, that wasn't about just giving them drinking water. That was a reminder for those people to not forget about the God who had brought them this far. See, they lost sight of it. They sat down, they were grumpy and complaining and miserable, and God is like, hold on now for a minute. Here, look at that. I'll bring you healing water. I'll give you all the stuff that you need. But then he says, remember, remember, I am the God who split the Red Sea just a little while ago. I'm the God who brought plague after plague after plague after plague in Egypt and, and freed you from 400 years of slavery. I'm the same God who brought you this far. Don't you think I can take you that far? It was never about the healing of the water. It was always about them getting their eyes back on God. That was what they needed. That was the healing that they actually needed. Notice that God doesn't even say, I am the Lord who healed your water. He says, I am the Lord who healed you. You were what was wrong. You were what needed healing there. It was a reminder to get your attention back on God. And that's often why God does miracles. It's often why he does these healings. It's for us to look at him and go, whoa, okay, God is good and capable and miraculous and powerful. In fact, we already read Matthew 15, 30, where it just said, Jesus healed everyone. The very next verse, 31, says, The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well. The lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. That was the result. That was the point. That was the purpose. It was for all of those people to look at Jesus and start to ask themselves, what if this guy really is who he says he is? What if this guy really is the, the Messiah, Savior of all of mankind? It was for them to look to God and to praise him for it. Like, we, we often make healing such a personal issue. I want God to pray for my, my illness. I'm praying. Why isn't he answering my issue? It's never about you. It's all about putting praise back on to God. It's always about him. Miracles are always for us to see God's power and glory put on full display. There's no other reason. The point of the healing isn't necessarily the healing. It's that God would be glorified. That's the reason we're here, church. First and foremost on planet Earth is to give God glory. That, that is line number one in our vision as a church, that we would make Jesus famous, meaning that we would lift his name higher than any other name, that, that he would be declared around the world as the Lord of Lords, Yahweh, the I Am that he would be glorified. So even if you have been healed, that healing wasn't just for you, it was for God's glory. That was a win for the kingdom. Because when people look at his miracles and look at his power and look at his glory, then there may be more people who are like, I want to know about that God. And then there's more opportunities for the kingdom to grow and to flourish and expand across the world. That is why God shows up and does unbelievable, miraculous things. It's a kingdom win. It's always bigger than us anyway. We see another picture of this uh, when, when a guy named Lazarus comes down with a terminal illness. 
And his family's really upset, and they, they, they hunt down Jesus, and they're like, you've got to heal this guy. We've seen what you're capable of doing, and we need you to heal Lazarus. And his response in John 11:4 says, when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. And then listen, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. It happened so that God would get glory. It happened so that people would look to God and see him. In other words, God's about to do something in Lazarus' life that is going to be unbelievable. He's going to use it for his good. We talked about it last week with redemption, how God takes our hardest times and brings something beautiful out of them. God's saying this is one of those times. And right before Lazarus is resurrected from the dead, because he actually dies, um, Jesus says to God in 1142, You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. See, the healing was way bigger than Lazarus. It was that so everyone that was there watching would believe in Jesus. There's always a point and a purpose to a healing. And oftentimes, it is because God is due all of that glory and all of that wonder so that we would worship him so that we would be left with no other conclusion than that was the hand of God and only the hand of God. I mean, that's my prayer for Crosspoint, that there would be so many unbelievable, miraculous, crazy things happen that there would be no other common sense explanation or or way to describe it other than to be left with the conclusion, that's got to be God because there's no other way. That's why God does miracles. That's why God shows up and uses his power in an awesome way. It's for his glory. That's one of the reasons why healing happens sometimes. Another reason that we see in our passage is that God says, I am testing your faithfulness. God will often bring us to this spot where we have to pray to him for healing because he's actually waiting to see if we will do our part. And sometimes we think, our part? What's my part? Well, there's often a role that we have to play when God shows up and does something miraculous. Whenever God does a miracle in the Bible, almost always, there's first a little request where he says, but first you need to do this. Right? You think of the the story that we already read, where they're all gathered around the water and Moses is there. The Bible makes it sound so easy. God said, throw a piece of wood in the water, and he did. But you think about what that would have actually been like. Right? Moses is sitting there. All of the people that he's with are grumpy and irritated, and he's the leader, so they're mad at him. Right? That's what it, it's always your fault when you're the leader. And so they're all grumpy and irritated at him. And he's like, all right, God, what am I going to do? And, and he kind of hears God say, and not necessarily this big vocal obvious way. He just kind of hears maybe a feeling, this sense that he's, he looks over and sees a big chunk of wood and he's supposed to throw that in the waters. Really? That's what you got for me right now? With everyone watching, everyone's mad at me. What you want me to do is throw a piece of wood in the water, and that's going to fix it. Yes. Right, well, what, what if it doesn't work? What if they're going to be even angrier at They're going to be confused that that was my solution. They're going to fire me. Can I get fired? I don't know how this relationship works right now, but God, I'm really not sure about this. And what really God is saying here is, Moses, do you trust me? I mean, you're asking me to heal this water. I just split the Red Sea in half and you're doubting my ability to give you a drink? Do you trust me? 
throw a piece of wood in the water. And what God is asking us oftentimes before we get a miracle, before we get an answer to our prayer, is will you do what I'm asking you to do first? Same thing happens with Lazarus, with his family. Lazarus has died at this point. His family's ticked off at Jesus because we just read Jesus say, he's not going to die, and then he dies. And they're angry. I mean, they're mad, and they're calling him out. They're complaining to him. It's kind of the same story again. In fact, the Bible even says Jesus was angry. Like, he's really un unhappy with the way that they're responding to him right now. And, and this is kind of his conclusion. Before he raises Lazarus from the dead, he has one request. John eleven thirty nine. He says, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. That smell is going to be terrible. King James Version, he stinketh. <laughs> True story. It's a great verse. Like, he's going to, really? That's what you want to do? If you can raise a guy from the dead, don't you think you could just move a rock while you were at it? Like, don't you have what it takes? I'm pretty sure you're capable. And God's, he's, what he's saying here is, oh, it's not that I'm not capable. I want to see how much you trust me. I want to see if you believe in me. I want to test your faith. I know I can do it, but do you know I can do it? And he makes them roll away the stone. I mean, this happens so many times throughout Scripture. There's another guy that needs healing in the Old Testament. His name is Naaman. And, and his solution, God's like, you should go have a bath in the river. And he's like, sweet. And God's like, no, I'm not done. Seven times. Seven times? Well, like, yeah, no, seven times. What about like three? No, seven. It doesn't make sense. It's a weird request. God's like, do you trust me? Because I know what's best. I've got a miracle. I'm capable. But will you do your part? God wants to know if we are willing to step up and do our part. We often think, what are you willing to do for me, God? And he's like, no, what are you willing to do for me? A pastor friend of mine named Mike Miller said it like this. He said, a miracle is not just God stepping in, but it's people stepping up. You play a part. You play a role. You're involved in this. And so maybe that's a question for you today. If you're here and you have been praying for healing or maybe some other kind of request, some other kind of miracle, what you really need to start asking yourself isn't why won't God do it? It's what might God also be asking me to do? What's the part does, that he wants me to play? And it might be confusing. It might be weird. It might be risky. But what if that is the thing that God is looking for you to do before he shows up? See, we need to play our part He's like, throw, throw a piece of wood, roll away a stone, go have a bath seven times. We're like, what? He's just, just do it. So what is it for you? Maybe you know what it is, and you've just been holding back on it. What if that's what you need to do? That's another reason that God will sometimes heal and sometimes not. Now, on the flip side... And, th and this is kind of the harder part of healing to talk about. Sometimes it's completely our fault that we need healing in the first place. And sometimes we're supposed to be the ones that fix that. I know that sounds a little weird, but I want to say that this with a disclaimer. Sometimes your sin and your sickness are connected. Sometimes, biblically speaking, your sin and your sickness are connected. I do want to clarify quite clearly, that's not always the case. Sometimes you get sick, 
right? There's no, like, oh, Lord, why do I have the flu? Because your kids go to public school and they bring all of the diseases home with them. That's why you get sick, right? It's, it's, I'm not saying whatever you're facing right now is a consequence of your sin, but listen, sometimes it is. We don't, we don't talk about that a lot in the North American church. That's kind of weird spiritualism kind of stuff for us. But biblically speaking, there was often a connection between your, your, your actions and your sin and the consequence that came out in your life. In fact, Jamie read it right before we took the offering. You reap what you sow. That's not just physical. What if it's spiritual? What if it's emotional? Sometimes they're connected. Sometimes the issue is us, right? Like sometimes the issue is we don't take care of our bodies and we're gluttons and we eat terribly and we don't exercise and then we get sick and everything falls apart inside. We're like, God, why did you do this? Why am I on cholesterol medicine? He's like, maybe you should not eat 12 meals a day. (laughs) Oh, Lord, why is my liver damaged? Well, it certainly wasn't the years of heavy drinking. Right, and, that, and then we, we have the gall to blame God and to ask for a healing and to expect an answer and then to get ticked off when it doesn't come. I'm not saying that he can't, but I am suggesting sometimes he won't. Because sometimes we've done this to ourselves. But here's the thing, God's not just happy to let you sit there and suffer, but he, he actually gives us a lot of good stuff in the Bible where he says, here's some ways that you can get around that. Here's a whole list of damaging behaviors. Don't do those and you'll live a blessed life. He says, here's wisdom. I will give wisdom to you to help you make good decisions. Here's free will so that you can decide to do the things that are right and good and holy and beneficial. He gave us a lot of leverage to do the right thing, but he's asking us to do the right thing. In fact, in the verse we already read, 2 Chronicles 7, he says, if my people call on my name and humble themselves and pray, no, 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 we missed a line, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal them. Stop sinning, and then I'll heal you. Sometimes your sin and your sickness are connected. See, sometimes when we pray for healing, we should actually be focused on choosing to obey. And that's really the thing that's going on. I mean, this happens um, with the Israelites in the story. See, their, their complaining and their grumbling is actually the thing that keeps them further and further from God. Not just even in this moment with drinking water, but as their story progresses, the more they grumble and complain, the harder it gets for them. And they wander around the desert for years. Some of them nearly starve, and God shows up and gives them food. They complain about that, and he delays their entrance to the promised land even longer. When your sin is going to give you a negative effect, you might feel it physically. They sure did. In fact, Moses doesn't even get in. He's the guy that was called to lead them all to the promised land. And because of a dumb mistake he makes out of anger and out of sin, he had, God says, oh, sorry, you can't make it in there today. Not going to happen. I mean, certainly the, you, the heartbreak and the regret, the emotional anguish he would have gone through. See, sometimes it's our own fault. But sometimes God says, I will give you what you need to get through it. I've given you everything you need to get through it. Right? I've given you the power of my Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So maybe with God's power at work within you, you, you can overcome destructive addictions. Is that still healing? Absolutely it is. Was it instantaneous and easy? No, but it doesn't always have to be that way, does it? That's how we pray for it to go, but that's not always the way that it shows up. 
That's not always the way that it happens. Um, Naaman wasn't healed after his first bath. All right, God, took a bath. He's like, yeah, six to go. What about three? Seven. Uh, I'm at number five. Are we done here? No. Or I am shriveling up, Lord. Like my hands are like sponges. It hurts. I'm raw. I need some hand lotion. Here's number seven, dude. Listen, sometimes just because the healing hasn't happened instantaneous doesn't mean that it's not coming. Sometimes waiting is part of that process. Sometimes patience is the thing that God is actually trying to strengthen in you. Sometimes it's faith that needs to be strengthened in you. Just because it didn't happen like that doesn't mean that it isn't currently happening and you're unaware of it. What if you're being healed in this moment slowly by God's power at work within you? Don't, don't get all discouraged and upset if it didn't happen today or yesterday. We don't know God's timing, but his timing is perfect. It's just like going to the doctor's office. You go to a doctor's office, you know that you're going to end up waiting there and waiting there and waiting there. And then you're finally going to get into the second room. It's like a trick, right? Like, oh, it's your turn, Mark. And you're like, yeah. And you go sit down. They're like, no way, it's not. It's trickery. And you sit in the second bonus room and you wait and you wait. And then finally the doctor comes and he gives you a prescription. He doesn't fix you right there. Oh no, he gives you a piece of paper. And you got to go to shoppers and you got to wait. But listen, that's what we expect. You, you don't expect to go to the doctor and be healed instantly. You know that it's going to be a process. So why do we expect that of God? Why, why wouldn't we give him the same kind of freedom to say, you might want to take your time with this one. You might need some extra time. He's still working. He's still healing. Even if it seems like you've been waiting for a while. And I want you to be encouraged in that today. Now, sometimes God's healing is absolutely instantaneous. Sometimes his healing comes even if you've been ridiculous and dumb. Sometimes he heals you in spite of you. Sometimes God just likes to work a miracle. And it's awesome. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is our healer. And the Bible tells us finally what we can do to get healing. Just pray. James 5.14 says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you see the spiritual component to your healing? It says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. If you are sick, then come pray. Come pray and get anointed with oil. You think, well, why? What's the magic of oil? What's the, I don't know. Why throw a piece of wood in the water? Sometimes it's just good to do what God asks you to do. He says, come pray. And that prayer of faith is capable of healing the sick. God still does that, church. He still does that. We've seen it. We've, we've heard stories of it. Some of you have experienced it. I've experienced it. I mean, it, it's crazy. He does this. He is Jehovah Rapha. Now, I could, I, we could preach about this for a very long time. It's a huge topic. 
But healing is real, and it happens, and it's who he is. Whether it's emotional, mental, spiritual, physical, whether it's individual, whether it's for an entire nation, God has always been in the act of healing, and he always is in the act of healing. It covers everything. Sometimes we have a part to play in it. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes we have to pray. Sometimes it requires oil. Sometimes it requires patience. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we get an answer why and sometimes we don't. But just because God didn't doesn't mean that he can't. Just because God didn't that time doesn't somehow make him not a healer. It just means he still knows what's best. And we'll learn why someday. In fact, the truth of the matter is, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, you will be healed someday. He always heals. It's a biblical promise. It might just not happen here. But there is a day coming and a promise that we hold on to that says, you will have a day someday where there is no more pain. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more diseases. There will be no more tears. There is a day coming where there is healing. Right? And, it's, I'm, and I've been to my fair share of funerals and I've had people say of their, their loved ones who knew the Lord and they prayed for healing and they still died. Well, why, why didn't God heal them? He did, church. He did. And someday he will for us too. Sometimes that's his timing. See, the crazy thing about this story is that when Moses threw a piece of wood in the water, it was a piece of wood that God used to heal his people. Well, Jesus Christ did the same thing. So there's a little bit of foreshadowing there in the book of Exodus. And there's another day that comes when God's people are all hurting and it's bad time. And God says, why don't you take this piece of wood and I'll put my son up on there and I will give you the healing that you are looking for. And it will be found through my savior. And sometimes that's healing that you will experience here and now, but ultimately it's a healing that you will experience someday. He heals us. And so I think really the most fitting way for us to close uh, this service is for a time of prayer. It's what James asks us to do. And so if you're here today and you need healing, theater campus, if that's you, um, same, same deal, wherever you are, um, we want to have a time of prayer tonight. And, and listen, we don't need to just have, oh, it's a healing service. No, every time you pray can be a healing service. You don't need to set aside a special time for it. But we want to pray tonight. And maybe you need uh, healing emotionally or spiritually or mentally or physically. Maybe you want to come and, and represent someone else who isn't here. Maybe they can't be here. Maybe this is something you've been wrestling with for years. Maybe this is something that, that you just need God's answer on. Sometimes the answer to a physical healing prayer is a spiritual answer from God. It might not ever show up in the form of a physical healing, but but the way that God speaks into your heart might be the thing you need to hear. I mean, I've heard people tell that story. I know I'm going to have this illness for the rest of my life, but God is good and I praise him anyway. That's healing. And so whatever that is, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, I'm just going to invite you guys to come pray. I, I don't even want to use the phrase, the altars are open. They're always open. You can always come up here. But there is something about that stepping out and coming forward that, that might, it just means something. It's good. God uses that. And so I'm just going to invite you to come up and pray today at the altars. There are people here in the church who will come pray with you. We have oil up here at the altars. 
that we will anoint you with if that's what you want. Maybe if you're not feeling so inclined, um, whatever the reason might be, if you just want to pray in your seat, you can do that. But we love to know who we're praying for. We love to be able to gather around and pray with you. In fact, this is a great opportunity for all of us to pray for one another. If you see someone up here alone, don't let someone stay up here alone. Come pray with them. So, we're going to pray. Right? There's probably a bunch of people here that need some healing in some capacity. And so the band is going to sing. And while they do that, we're going to come pray. And I just invite you to do that. If you want someone to come pray with you, if you want to be anointed, just track us down. Jamie and I are both free, and uh, whoever else is here, we, we, we'll find you. So, let's pray.